Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Florida State 24-3. I'm psyched about it. Robbie, how you feeling? I mean, I gotta be excited <laughs> as hell. That was quite a game. I think... Uh, it was awesome, man. Uh, unexpected to some, maybe more expected to others, and uh, we came out with the W coming out of... Um, you know, Tallahassee. I don't think more expected to anybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I think, uh, yeah, well, we can get into it, but uh, yeah, man. Give it wasn't us, expected uh, give to many. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I got to give uh, a cheers to um, Mr. Bud Foster, of course, and uh, the scheme was incredible. The motivation, I think uh, we'll get into this, but I think that he pulled the classic, you guys are underdogs, everybody's overlooking you, they don't know your names, they don't care about you, and you're going to, you know, they think you're going to go down to Tallahassee and get swept up by this offense um, and this running back who is, if anybody thinks otherwise, Cam Akers is a really, really good running back, and he'll prove that over the course of the year. Their offensive line might be something else, but um, hat tip to Bud Foster for once again in an opening game coming out and motivating his players and then also the players executing on it, which I think is equally as important. He could have had the best scheme in the world, but they had to go out and prove that they could do it. So uh, cheers to um, the defense in this particular game. Cheers. Yeah, Bud Foster is like single-handedly making the argument against paying the players in the NCAA because – it doesn't matter who's on our team. He just makes them amazing. <laughs> like, so just inject any, any player like over 25 years. And you're basically putting out a top 20 unit. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, let's start with the news and notes. We moved up to number 12 in the AP poll. I just can't believe we're at 12. Like we're two spots away from the top 10 in a year that we were all prepared for, you know, a little bit of a step back. And we, we, we're thinking 17 last week in the coaches poll and 20 in the AP was a little high. And now we're at 12. And when you do that and have that performance, it it seems warranted. It's the variability that you're going to see in the AP. That's just the way it goes. The losses, people are going to fall further than they probably should. And people are going to climb more than maybe they should. Uh, As we preview the rest of this, I will, uh, remind everybody of my comments from before this game happened which is don't overreact i said that on the last podcast and i said in a win or a loss don't overreact it's a long season uh 12 is an overreaction upwards i think for this program right now and what i saw in the field but i'll take it it makes uh, our games coming up even bigger yeah when a fifth of the teams are actually playing against good teams that's what's going to happen because we put out a good performance and we played in one of the few good games. So I love it. I, the more highly you're ranked, the more people want to talk about you. So we can enjoy it for now and hopefully we'll enjoy it for another couple of weeks here. Some other uh, rankings were Florida state fell out of the rankings, which you would expect. Notre Dame is number eight and Miami fell to 22 after their dismal performance against LSU. We're still 34th in the S&P Plus. We didn't move at all. And his is, uh, Bill Connolly's rankings are a little less reactionary because they don't 
base everything on this season until like week five or six. So a lot of it's still based on the projection. But beyond that, our offense wasn't very good according to the advanced stats. And that's factored in just as much as our great performance on D. So that's probably why we didn't move very much. Florida State did take a big drop in the S&P Plus, though. The final thing I had was William & Mary. It's sold out, the home opener. How about that? That was just shows, shows the excitement about the program. We're in year three of Fuente. I, I mean, nine and ten wins your first two seasons. If if this guy can put out anything close to that this season, that is un- relatively unprecedented for a first yeah. three years of a coach. Um, and I'm not projecting forward that we are going to do that off of one game. I'm just saying that people are excited about the program because – yeah, we've taken some tough losses and we've dropped a couple, you know, duds here and there. But in general, I, I think people are just really juiced up about the program, the direction it's heading. Yeah, and it must have been well on its way even before the Florida State win if it's sold out now. Uh, obviously, the win helps immensely, but it was probably going to get sold out, I, I, I was thinking. Uh, some game notes. Before we get into the recap, I just wanted to talk about some things that happened last week before the game and that was the depth chart that came out and there were some surprising things on there including Khalil Adler starting at whip rather than free safety uh in place of Devin Hunter and that proved to pay dividends <laughs> I think we could say that <laughs> I would say the least even uh and you know, even when Ladler was not because I went back and I looked at his stats afterwards and we can get into the stats and the details of it when I looked at his stats it didn't marry up to where he was on the field he was on camera next to the ball on like everywhere like yeah. and not just the beginning i know he was really impactful in the first quarter i get it but even into you know the second third quarter he was just he was all over the field yeah it was like ricky walker too like his stat line wasn't super impressive in the game but he was making an impact over and over again the o line movement on that depth chart was also interesting you had chung at left guard and hoyt as the center and i i think DeAndre Planton might have sustained an injury at some point during camp. Uh, maybe not a, a big injury, but enough to knock him back on the depth chart. And they really felt good about Hoyt. And he only had the one bad snap. So I guess uh, they felt strongly enough to put him as the starter and move, what is it, Wang to left guard. Because Wang is our best offensive lineman. I, I think that's the way the coaches feel. They just, the way they moved him around last year, and he can just play like any position. Yeah. They feel really strongly about him. I agree. So it was uh, it was interesting that during the game, though, the starting lineup didn't match the depth chart because Christian yeah. Darisaw was in there starting at left tackle instead of Zansi. Yeah, I think they made some moves. Um, and I, I don't know where it came from, but I, I do think that they made some shifts just kind of last minute. And there might have been against some gamemanship there or whatever the case may be. But I, I don't know. I don't really feel like... You and I talked about it, and with Hill, we can you know go there. Hill, he did. It seems like there's rumors that he may have to have sit out a quarter uh, of the game, but he was on the depth chart and he did not start. But he played the whole almost the whole game, uh, the last yeah. you know three quarters of the game. So I don't know how much Fuente gets into that whole situation of uh, doing what Saban did with his quarterbacks and putting two of them on there when he knew he was only going to play one. Yeah, I don't know what happened with Hill if it was academic or uh, suspension, just violation of team rules type thing, but I don't care. I am so happy he played. That performance was incredible, and we'll get into it a little bit later. 
Let's do the game recap. The first drive was a thing of beauty. 75 yards on 10 plays. It was clearly scripted in some way. And we went up 7-0 on the back shoulder fade to Hazleton. It was so sweet. I, we, me and you had a phone conversation or two after the game because we've just been celebrating for two straight days now. Uh, that That drive was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was a thing of beauty. The run game looked outstanding. The offensive line was blocking. The, the, out, the exterior was blocking very well and for wide receivers, tight ends. Everybody was was blocking. The holes um, were huge. It was it was massive. Um, the, the fade route for the touchdown over on the right-hand side of the end zone uh, scared me a lot. And um, But it did show something that I thought would really jumped off after rewatching the game. And at the time, I recognized it. It's just Hazleton's a big dude, right? He's and, really and, big. And he's he, not 6'2". Yeah. I, I don't know why he's listed at 6'2 on the, on the roster. I think they might have listed him smaller, which usually you do the opposite. I think right. they listed him smaller to create matchup. He um, either maybe he just jumps really high or whatever, but he was getting well, out also there. the corner um, covering him was like five ten. Levante Taylor, uh, I, he's, yes, he's I'm, really short. That's exactly uh, right. And and it was nice too because it took the crowd out of the game. That crowd was fired up. They were doing the swag and surf before the game with all the players wearing black. The whole crowd swaying. And a minute into the game or whatever it was, four minutes into the game, we take him out, and it was awesome. We forced a fumble on the next drive, continuing that momentum. Got the big run by McLeese down to the 12, but had to settle for a field goal. We went up 10 nothing. A few drives later, Aguayo made a field goal after missing a previous attempt to make it 10-3. to We couldn't answer offensively for a bit, but shortly thereafter came the blocked punt, which was returned for a TD. And returned is in quotes because it was all of about one yard by Eric Kuma. Yeah, he just, uh, that was probably one of the shortest uh, punt returns uh, of the year, and they joked around about that. It was also the second time, I think, this week, first week of college football, it happened. It happened in another game that somebody took it off of somebody's foot. I've never even seen that happen, and it happened twice in one week of opening uh, week college football. I'll have to go back and look at the game, but somebody else did it too, and it was amazing. That put us up 17-3, to and we kind of just sat on them till the end of the half. In the third, we traded the ball back and forth, no scores, but we did get down to the one and couldn't punch it in on fourth down. I, I, I know we kind of differed on the opinion on that call, and we can talk about it a little bit, but Stephen Peoples couldn't get in. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, it looked like Florida State might start a comeback with the Acres 85-yard run. But fortunately, Bryce Watts, and it was shades of Pitt last year, caught him from behind and a few plays later they fumbled it again so the effort that reggie floyd made last year and that watts made this year are two now like iconic plays in virginia tech history yeah i thought it was fantastic and just the effort being put in is is pretty incredible so uh i loved it we turned right around and scored off that turnover on the incredible play by eric kuma who had himself a night 49 yards for the score and probably should have been tackled you know, three or four times, it, just a man's play, and it sealed the game. I mean, no one thought at that point that Florida State was going to be able to come back three scores on us, and that's how it ended, 24-3. to three. I, I just was blown away. After the first drive, I think everyone I was watching with, I, the mood changed instantly. It was yeah. like, 
holy crap, we have a chance in this game. Was that how you felt? Yeah, I felt it. I probably got too over anxious. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in summary of the kind of entire game, when I look back at it, you know, you had the Cunningham block, which Kuma catches and, you know, takes it in for a three yard, you know, punt return. Then you have um, the two touchdowns for potential touchdowns for Florida State. One, the dragging the, you know, shin, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, the bobbled in the back of the end zone for um, Florida State. I think both teams in my kind of thought process when I walked away from it, I was super excited about what I saw for the Virginia Tech offense. Obviously, everybody's juiced about the you know what the defense did. I think that both teams left points on the table, but in equal manner. Maybe a little bit on the FSU side could have been a little bit closer of a game. Yeah, but. Um, but Virginia Tech left points on the field as well. I mean, a, a, a fair amount of them. So I think it evened out to what the score actually, the score actually reflected, I think, what happened in the game. It might have just been higher scoring, if that's, yeah. if anything. I, I agree, because though FSU had five turnovers, you'd say, well, they left way more points on the board. Well, they could have turned it over a couple more times. And we could have gotten in on that one yard play, like you said. So it, it probably ended the way it could have, but it could have been, yeah, 31 10 instead of 24 three or whatever. So then Savoy could have got the fur, the four, you know, that first down that was right in front of them, things like that. So I think it even down, but you know, we can jump into the details of it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the offense. Let's save the defense for last because that's, that's the real good stuff. Offense really cooled off. After the first couple drives, Josh was okay, inaccurate at times. It was kind of the Josh we've seen in the past. 62% completion, just uh, 207 yards and two touchdowns, but he didn't make the big mistake. Yeah, he played um, He played careful football. Um, at times, he made a lot of big big time throws. I mean, I went back and again, the Kuma throw was incredible over the center. He had another slant that he threw into aggression. Granted it was into, you know, I think triple traffic, <laughs> but, uh, he made it a good, uh, you know, pass. He avoided the mistakes. Um, you know, towards most people think of only it in the first quarter, but in the second and third, really the fourth quarter, he was catching a lot of heat there. There was a lot of pressure in the backfield that he was having to deal with. And I think he made, um, you know, more senior decision. He's not a senior, but you know, more senior decisions than you would see from somebody at his level. I saw his development in knowing when to kind of catch some extra yardage, know when to go down, not do something stupid uh, in a big time game and a big time atmosphere. I, I saw a development despite the fact the stats didn't necessarily show it. Yeah, he left me wanting more. But he still hit my QB rating projection for him for the season, which I projected him at 153. He was 153.8 in this game. So it, it, there's still something about Josh where you're just like, oh, so close. Like on the, the pass that's just over Kuma's hands down the middle in that one play. And you know you want a little bit more quickness in his run game. and But he... <laughs> Two touchdowns, zero INTs. You know, like that's what you want to see. And a W. Uh, yeah, and the W. And and no doubt about it, the play calling got con- more conservative as the game wore on. And Fuente didn't want to put it in the air maybe as much and allow Josh to to do those a little bit more dangerous throws. Uh, and that's that's fine because the way the game was dictating, like you had to 
take your foot off the pedal just a little bit and be careful because the only way to screw up what was happening was to throw a pick six or something. That's exactly right. So, and you you watched this game and the offense evolved completely. Uh, when whether it was the change in who was the running back after McLeese came out on fire, shifting over to Peoples, um, you saw you know just a kind of a, almost a running back by committee rotation after after that. The offensive line wasn't getting the same protection that they were early on. The defensive line had for Florida State had adapted a little bit. They were getting more pressure off of the edge. The whole scheme of the game and and the play calling as you just mentioned changed uh, throughout it. it the game very much evolved for virginia tech and what they were going to do because i think fuente and you know the team knew that they could get a w and you're going to take that every time so why risk it some other offensive players uh that we should mention We've already talked about him, but Kuma was sensational in this game. Four receptions, 86 yards, the awesome TD run after the catch. And I need to apologize to him because in our season preview, I made a reference to Kuma that he's not dynamic after the catch. And I want to parse my words carefully because he is good after the catch, but it's not in a make you miss kind of way. And that's what I said. It's in a just like, I'm going to throw your bodies off of me kind of way. It's brute force. And <laughs> yeah, it's just brute force. And he did it to Quinn Blanding last year, uh, going out of bounds, but he still threw him to the ground. And you saw that with all those defenders that tried to take him down the other night and they couldn't do it. He's a big, strong dude and he's got enough speed to break away too. So props to Eric Kuma. He, he had the touchdown on the block. He had another touchdown catch that, got called back because he shoved the he didn't even need to do it that was the sad part about that touchdown yeah i'm i'm a little bit and i brought up the fade route right at the beginning of the podcast and it's it's getting concerning to me because it's statistically the least high <laughs> high probability pass that you can make in in football and especially in college football and what it ends up looking like and it happened even on the first one. That was a push off. I I think when Hazelton the first one he, which is fine if everybody's getting rough and whatever. Then and it goes both ways. But sometimes the 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 refs make the wrong call, and you know you can get sh- and it happened during this game. One was it Grimsley or was it Hazelton that he got pushed first? Then he pushed back. Then he uh, caught it. Was, it for the, what you're thinking of is the Ladler play, where yeah. the FSU receiver pushed him mm-hmm. and then kind of even dragged him to the ground, and they called it on Ladler in the end zone. Yeah, and so I, I'm just a little bit skeptical of of that in general because it can it, it doesn't it didn't matter in this game, but in a tight spot, if that's our go to is like just a, a a fade route out there. I mean, that's just a it's a tough play, and it can go yeah, against but, you yeah. even in a. Even when you play it perfectly, it can still go against you for, for a bad call because it usually involves being physical and pushing off. It doesn't involve speed. Like if on a slant route, you can outgun everybody or do a crossing like the FSU pass that they dropped. That was a beautiful play. Um, they didn't catch it, but there was no chance for a penalty or anything like that. The matchups were good, though, for the fade route in this yeah. game. I don't know if we'll see it in future games, but the height advantage that Hazleton and Kumo were displaying... I thought it was a wise play. Coaches are always going to take that one-on-one matchup. And on that play, they put Grimsley in motion on the Hazleton touchdown, drag the safety over. The coach was room. We're talking about it. And it left five, 10 guy on six, three Hazleton. And you're going to take that every time. And totally get it. I just meant that it's a tough pass for a quarterback to make. 
I'm yeah, like it's, it's and the back then, shoulder throw is not an easy throw, right? And you know it takes and if uh, you know Josh has never come across as as like you know we're talking about like Tua and some of the throws that he made during that Alabama yeah. game that you won't see. Uh, so it just it left me a little bit um, worried about what the plan is for the passing attack. I guess and guess what it, they played to the strength and I understand that. It just lets mm-hmm. me. It makes me wonder in the future, which is, we got you know eleven more games here, what it's going to look like moving forward. Grimsley looked good. He added four catches. Uh, two of those came on the first drive. Patterson had three, and then Turner had the nice catch on the sideline. Trey Turner, the freshman. Uh, I'm not sure what Savoy's deal is. He made two boneheaded plays in this game. The one, you know, he didn't go for the first down. You said it earlier. Uh, it looked he was trying to make us cut back or whatever, and it's like the marker's right there. You, you just got to lean forward. And the and again the fumble. It was like the Miami game when he w- had a nice play, was moving down the field, helmet on ball out of his hands and maybe both of those plays just happen to be good plays by the defender but you got to hold on to the football i mean savoy's not going to see the field if he keeps screwing up like this yeah i thought um you know it, it, the look who didn't see the field and that's nothing to say cj carroll played pretty well on special teams but the the, the players that we were relying on aren't on the field anymore i mean uh, that last year i'm talking about in comparison mm-hmm. to this year um, Carol, I have all the stat. Carol and Savoy had like a fair amount of um, our our yards, but we went to Grimsley. We went to Hazelton. I think that's for a reason. I think um, guys are developing. That, that should be, but that's a positive thing, right? Yeah. We're we're finding the right people in the field. But Savoy, um, what he the, just the, needs the, to be more consistent. Yeah, it's just you, the first down marker was right there on that play. Yeah. I was furious. It's just like lean forward, he don't try talented. and cut. Yeah. And he could have got I, I, that, you know, those those three yards, easy, no problem yeah. right there. Yeah, he's talented, and I don't want to – you know, we know the tough ride he's had since he's been at Tech, and he's played very well at times. Uh, and, and last year when Cam was out, he was really our only playmaker on offense in some games. So I, I don't want to talk too much trash on him. I just – I want him to get it worked out because he has a lot of talent and can be very good for us. Yeah. So McLeese looked great early. I wish they had stuck with him. I, Fuente loves people so much, and I get the power back idea. But, man, McLeese was really hitting the holes. I wish they had just given him another five to six carries rather than – it was 13 and 13 between Peoples and him. Yeah, I, I – listen, I, I've always been a Peoples fan. He had a couple, you know, really nice runs at the end, almost had that touchdown, tried to grind it out at, you know, the one – one yard line, and guess what? He got hit by Christmas, who we previewed on here. You got hit by you. Know, you can say what you will about the defensive line. That guy is going to be good, and he's going to play in the he NFL. Made a great play. Yeah, he made a great play. Um, I didn't feel great about the way you know in the rotation, but I do think that there was a. Although then they brought Wheatley out there on some jet sweeps. I liked Wheatley. That was actually kind of sweet. Uh, you know, he, that looked really good. Showed that he's ready for prime time um, on those plays. I didn't. I didn't feel great um, about the rotation, but I do think it was methodical. I, I do think that when McLeese is running that well and the holes are that big, there somebody on that coaching staff decided that they were going to start going with Peoples, and I don't know why. And I, 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 you know, I'm probably not smart enough to figure it out, but 
everybody saw what McLeese was doing and they still decided to rotate. It might've been the heat might've been like, you know, getting tired. The offensive line might've been getting tired. And if the offensive line is getting tired, those holes start to close up. And then you need somebody like people's that can bulldoze the way through. I don't know, but I do feel like there was something there. And people's is on the field to block a lot too. And he was delivering some punishing blocks and pass protection. And you can't just only block with Peoples and only run with McLeese. I understand you have to mix it up or the defense is going to know what you're doing. So I get that. I I want to comment on Wheatley. Two for 22. His two runs were good. And it does seem like he's past Jalen Holston on the depth chart. And Holston was the better recruit and the coaches really wanted him. I think he's having a little bit of a hard time maybe grasping the offense. I, I'm not sure. And he, he did get in there too. Yeah. But Wheatley's just build and the way he was moving looks better to me than what I've seen out of Holston. Yeah, I, I think, um, and we'll get into the defense here in a moment, but uh, a lot of what we heard as rumblings, as you know, as many, we have to go off as many rumors as we get and coach speak during the offseason. So far, it's held true. With the with the the people that were talked up, Wheatley was one of them. Ladler was one of there. I mean, the people that were talked up during the off season um, by the coaches, you know, came out in this game. They played well. They sure did. Let's do a beer break before we get into the defense. What are you drinking? So I decided uh, to go full celebration mode uh, and uh, go with Dragon's Milk. Bourbon barrel aged stout. Uh, this is from New Holland Brewing Company. Uh, if you if you're into the bourbon barrels, uh, you will definitely know this one. It's a rich kind of roasty chocolate stout, eleven percent. So it uh, it could be punishing at times. But uh, I figured we were going to let loose and enjoy uh, a big W here. And I wasn't sure if we'd had Dragon's Milk on before, but it's a really popular beer. I think most people. Um, that are into uh, to New Holland or just you know stouts in general are aware of it, and it's delicious. It, it really is good. It is it is roasty goodness. Even though I was what's out the m- percent on that eleven? Oh wow! Yeah. So I told you we were celebrating, <laughs> I, yeah, and I mowed course. the and I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast. So you know why not take it <laughs> off? Why not take you know instead of something refreshing, just go with like a hardcore like stout that made a lot of sense. But it is good. yeah. The second half of this podcast, you should be feeling it. <laughs> I'm drinking the Trail Angel Weiss by Devil's Backbone. It's a Bavarian style Weiss beer. Uh, it's an Oktoberfest style and. I'm ready, man. It's September. This is Oktoberfest season. I couldn't wait to like bust into these. I've got another one for later in the podcast. Devil's Backbones from Lexington, Virginia, 4.9% alcohol. And it's got that sweet, like malty uh, Marzen flavor. It's a Weiss beer, not a Marzen, but it's in that same vein. It, it very much tastes like the cooling down of the weather, although it's not cooling down at all outside. It is scorching hot in D.C. and Philly this week, but this still tastes really good. The Trail Angel Weiss by Devil's Backbone. So now we get to talk about what was one of the best performances I've ever seen from a Virginia Tech defense. And Bud Foster and the props he's been getting, all warranted, is really unlike anything I've ever seen. Every outlet has now run an article on him. I guess just because no one thought it was going to go this way. 
everybody had said he couldn't do it this year. Like that, that was pretty much the commentary that they had was, yeah, you can't do it this year. Like the, the name, there's no names on the, on the, on the team. Everybody's been replaced and, um, now he's getting a lot of props. And, uh, I think the only not, not things that people are saying are about some of the, uh, fatigue and stuff that was happening on the field. But other than that, everybody's singing his praises. Yeah. The one article on, I think it was SI Pete Thamel wrote like he should be in the hall of fame as an assistant and be the first assistant to make it into the college football hall of fame. And that was probably the most like extreme form of complimenting bud that came out, but that was something that was being talked about maybe just a few days ago. I I feel like I've read something else that was just mentioned it, but this whole article was about how good he's been and how consistent he's been and to do it with the ACC's most inexperienced roster, or I should say youngest roster, uh, across the board is the whole team. And the defense, probably the most inexperienced roster of any ACC team. Uh, it's it's astounding. It's astounding. And one of the things that maybe we should talk about is that the recruits that have come in are just better than what we were getting in the last few years with Beamer. Yeah, I think that's probably... And, um yeah, I think they're faster. I think they're, you know, hungrier, more more aggressive. And, you know, I think they are just, you know, better is always a relative term, but more, maybe more adapt to his style of, of defense maybe is. And because you can have a, I mean, we've seen it time and time again where people come in as a two, three star, heck, un, unranked. Um, mm-hmm. recruit and end up being fit his system perfectly. And, and the opposite has been true just as, just as often. Uh, and it takes a certain style. I think what has happened is there was a general level of fatigue that Bud Foster had towards the end of the Beamer era. And now he's rejuvenated. Now, how, for how long? I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. But I think he's rejuvenated, and he's now putting a lot of time and effort into finding people for his system because he. The only reason he came back after Fuente came in was because he wants to win a national championship. He has made mm-hmm. no bones about that. He has said that t- repeatedly. Was like that was his goal. Otherwise, he would have just would have retired or gone down to a, you know, a lower level program and taken a ho- head coaching job. He took an you know, assistant coaching job, stayed with it after that long of a tenure as one of the best defensive coordinators in the country for only one reason. And I feel like he's excited again. It's a combination of the, like you said, the, the players matching what he wants to do and them being just of a slightly higher caliber. I, I think that's probably a little bit of both. Because when I saw Ladler out there playing whip, it, that he's the he's a perfect whip. Like he is the same like size and speed as Kyle Fuller. They put him in there for his coverage skills because we had slot guys to cover in this game. That's probably why Devin Hunter wasn't in there. Maybe against a running base team, Hunter would have made the start. But for this game in this situation, Ladler was the fit at whip, and boy was he! I mean, he looked like a classic Virginia Tech whip. And he was a pretty high recruit himself. And whether or not they came in under Beamer or Fuente, the group we have, they're young, but boy, oh boy, are they talented. And now Bud has them playing already after after a couple snaps, like some really, really good football. 
What was your favorite stat that the defense put up, Robbie? Because <laughs> there uh, were a, well, there's a lot to choose from. I mean, everybody gravitated to the 14 tackles for a loss, which is ridiculous. I mean that that blows the, you know the doors off of what you would normally see. Five sacks is nice, um, but I think we all know the best stat that happened, and by far it was Acres breaking a 90 yard rush on bad. Some bad tackling, but also it was a good play, and he's a talented running back, but he ended the night with 14 carries and 82 yards. Right. So yeah, he, he had 85 on one play and then <laughs> finished with 82. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was 85, not carries. 90. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But it's still just it's incredible. Again, it's, and, and that's why I said early on, he is a good running back. I mean, he if you want to... Yeah, he's a five-star. Yeah. I mean, he, he's extremely talented. He, what he doesn't have is an O-line. Yeah. So I thought, and well, and I don't want to take anything away from our defensive line either and our linebackers because I think True. they played, I think that has become, you know, it, there's 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 the truth. I don't think their offensive line was very good. We were rushing three at one point and we had no trouble getting into the backfield. So totally get it. But to take away from what those, those D, that D line did and those linebackers did, um, I think is going it's like kind of shooting the moon. That's just too far to not say that yeah. those guys didn't put in an incredible amount of effort and an awesome performance. Um, I, I just don't think that's that's right. That's going too far. You can you can criticize their offensive line while also giving praise to what this defense did. Five turnovers, no TDs for FSU for the first time since two thousand eight. A lot of people have been throwing out the stat. 35 of 63 plays went for zero or negative yards. That was 55.5%. Highest percentage since 06 versus Florida for FSU. Francois, zero TDs, three interceptions, negative 28 yards rushing. His longest rush was one yard. Uh, His QBR was 43.2. It was the second lowest of his career. The only lower game was against Louisville in that game that got bum-rushed two years ago. And every other game of his was like 68 and above. And he put up a 43 QBR in this game. And we already talked about Cam Akers. So I think that did it. For, well, I had this one more. Nine of FSU's 15 drives went for 10 yards or less. So you can go through all these. Everyone will have their favorite. Uh, more tackles for loss than first downs for Florida State. Oh, yeah. I thought it was um, it was pretty incredible. And the, the, you know, the one stat that does um, – you know, it, and of course, you know, Bill C's already kind of lo- kind of honed in on it was the the turnover luck that he always kind of goes back to. And I, I don't know. I, I don't you know. You got to make your own luck sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it, it, it heads down a, a dangerous path that he likes to latch on to, which is what happened with Miami last year, which is like they had turnover luck through their first nine games and then it completely flipped the script on them in the last three when they didn't get it any longer. So I think there was a little bit of that force, but I also think it was because of effort uh, as much as anything else. And not that say that's going to carry forward, but it's something to watch that, that usually reverts to the mean at some, some level. So we talked about Ladler and his great game. Trevon Hill, three tackles for loss, two sacks. And that was with him being held on seemingly every play. If you looked at his jersey during the game, it was all twisted up and like pulled off his shoulder pads because they were literally like dragging him to the ground. One of his sacks, 
the guy held him, drug him into the ground, but he happened to drag him into Francois, and that's how he got the sack. So Florida State wants to complain about calls or, you know, Taggart was talking about our guys falling down and slowing them down when they were clicking on offense, which happened for, what, three plays? But, boy, they were holding us. I mean, we didn't get that holding call. The one that we got happened way later in the game after we were already just crushing them. Hill was awesome. I mean, I hope he stays healthy this year because it looks like he's taken another step forward. He took a step last year, and now it's he's dominant. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think Ricky was great as well. His stat line didn't actually you know, show what he did on the, on the field, but I'll tell you what, the um, I, I have a few thoughts about it, but what, most of all, I come away from this game super excited for them, their progress, and what they could do this year, and extremely concerned about Every time they went down, I'm sitting there going, who's next, right? Like, who who's going to be behind them? Because, um, you know, Ricky went down twice, I think it was. Uh, Hill went down once. And I, I get it, the heat and everything. But, you know, if those are real injuries, we're, we're, you know, I think the it could quickly turn from what could be an exceptional defensive line on, in the first string to... Yeah, subpar to not be game changing for something yeah. like this. As long as someone doesn't go out, you know, with a bad injury, I do think we'll get stronger as the year goes on. Because every week, Vinny Manhota, in theory, will get more healthy, and Burke and Porcher, who both played, <laughs> Burke was the one that made the look to the sideline and then fell down. He also had gone down earlier in the game. I don't think Burke is in peak physical condition. He's he's kind of got a big belly, if you notice. Um, I mean, that was that was, nice. a, that was a full out flop. Like that one, the, the flop it was it was real. I like, mean, like, not he literally that. looked at the sideline, just like grabbed his leg and like tried to like figure out what ailment he was going to come up with. Which whatever, it happens. Then, but what pissed me off was later there was the actual injury where they went helmet to helmet, and then yeah. you stood because Floyd of what happened deep. earlier. Now you got everybody in the whole country talking about how your whole team when that was they literally collapsed helmet to helmet and that was legit and then you got everybody freaking out about it. I don't want to go into it. I don't really care that much. Um, as long as you know it doesn't become you know as long as we don't turn turn into a soccer team, then I, I don't really care. Uh, you know if we start flopping all over the place, then you know then you got to look at conditioning and listen. It was hot as hell. It's hot in Virginia. 96 degrees with 100% humidity today. I, I can't imagine what those guys were feeling like down there when you're not practicing in that every day. And that happens to every team that runs tempo. I mean, guys have taken dives on teams for a year. I mean, when Chip Kelly was running in Oregon, people were doing it to them every week. They had designated guys for like every other series. And it's happened against Fuente. It's happened against every coach that likes to run tempo. So let's not cry too much about it, Florida State, because – it, it's just a little gamesmanship. You just weren't very good. Let, let's be honest. You know who was very good? Caleb Farley. Farley, two First game. interceptions. <laughs> two interceptions, an awesome sack. ACC defensive back of the week in his first career game. I think the move to defense might be the move. <laughs> I, then again, he could be awesome at wide receiver too. That, that's the shame of it. I mean, maybe we'll see him play both at some point, but man, that kid is good. And it shouldn't go out with, without saying what happened, you know, with his family situation, how big it was for him to come back. And he, 
I think they said in the game, and I hadn't read this, but it was in one of the pieces that was um, was written during the offseason that, you know, he wanted to, like, come out and, like, prove himself. Um, and, I mean, damn, did he? I, I mean, it was incredible. He was flying around the field as well. And a lot of those plays, um, I think that mentality of getting switched from wide receiver over to, you know, the other side can help you be instinctive and cover people in a way that really kind of, you know, you know where the ball could end up. You know how to cover people. You know how to press them, get them to the right place. Because um, two interceptions, your first game out, uh, wow. Ashby was also the ACC linebacker of the week. And the excitement and hype about the linebackers, it was all valid because Rivers looked great. Ashby looked great. Ladler looked great, and we haven't seen Hunter really yet, uh, so we'll we'll wait to see that. But man, I this back seven with Watts and Farley and the two safeties, and now the linebackers. There was a lot of questions, yeah. And all of a sudden, I start to feel a lot better, man. Those guys look like the real deal against a very talented Florida State offense. And again, we'll qualify it with the fact that they might not be very good. But at the same time, it's an opening game on the road with a lot of young players, and you just destroy, you know, well-known, high-caliber, high-talent Florida State players. It, it was awesome. I, I really, I can't believe how well it went. I really can't. Yeah. And then I don't even know if we gave Reggie Floyd enough credit during this game as well, or yeah. during this cover. <laughs> he had two tackles for a loss and nine solo tackles. Um, I, I, there was just there was too many names. There was so it was such a, and it, it ties into what Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah. Hewitt was outstanding. Gaines was outstanding. It comes back to Kirk Herbstreit's uh, comments after the game that I know a lot of people have retweeted his quote, which is, is like it's not just one or two guys. This is like five or six people that are just going after the ball. And that's why I think you see that when I looked at the stat line, it's so spread out what these guys did because it was a complete team effort across all of them and gets me excited about every one of them. Yeah, we had 14 tackles for loss. It wasn't like one guy had five or four. like it was Trevon led with three. Everyone else was two or lower. It was just completely spread across the board. We saw Garbit, Belmar, Proctor all play at defensive end at some point. And every defensive tackle I think we had ended up playing. I was also thinking about Mahota, and he made that interception at the end of the game, which is great for him because think about what he went through. The ACL tear very close to the end of the year. His shoulders are just wired. Awful. They've been bad Wired for years. shut pretty much at this point. Yeah, and he had to put on 25 pounds <laughs> And he still was out there on game one. Like, it's, I mean, shout out to Vidi Mahota because I was thinking about that today when I was walking around. I'm like, yeah, he had to put on weight on a bad knee with bad shoulders, and he still was out there and made that pick. I mean, it's, pre- it's pretty uh, incredible. Um, so just like you said, hats off to him. And I was, I was super excited to see that happen. And I was also super excited for for as much as Herb Street sucked in the commentary for this game, like he got everything wrong. Like he called us Michigan state three times, like the five days of college football straight just took a toll on it. Cause I, I had he just was working a lot. I had just been singing Kirk's like praises, you know, you and yeah, I were talking about it. He's, he's, and 
he blew this. Like he got everything wrong. He was calling people the wrong name. He was talking about, but the fact that between him and Fowler that they were able to call out when like how much that means for Mahota, I thought was kind of cool because that's an under the radar thing. Like you got to be in the weeds to understand like that that's important and understand what's going on with Mahota and what he had to go through in the off season to understand what the importance is of that. And they did call it out in the coverage. So I thought that was nice. Florida state for sure had their problems. <laughs> they missed a field goal, five turnovers, they had their punt blocked. Maybe they missed some calls because we ran into their punter twice. Uh, there was the non-reviewed TD, the drop TD pass you talked about. They were accusing us of faking injuries, but nevertheless, it was clear as day who was the better team on the field on Monday night. Like, And the better coach team. A lot of those things came down to coaching and preparedness, and it wasn't just bad luck. It was us making our own luck and them just not being ready for the spotlight. We knew we were going to benefit from it being Taggart's first game, or at least we hoped we did. And it certainly seemed like we did. I think he will be better because he has to feel embarrassed about what happened on Monday. Uh, He's going to do, he's not going to sleep until he makes up for what just happened. Um, Taggart's a huge FSU guy. And this is, you know, a big part of his livelihood. I, I think I agree with you. I would just take it a little differently that I don't even know if this is a ding on Taggart or just a positive that Fuente and Bud Foster, and I think Bud Foster even more so because Fuente, uh, you know, you and I talked about it in the podcast when we were at the GOAT that like this is the time that like it's kind of cool because we know what we have on offense or at least we have, you know, optimism about the offense. We don't know about the defense. And we, and I hate comparing it this way, but they've been doing it for years we just pulled a full like kind of Michigan state move, right? Like I think bud was just like, Hey, now they think you're trash. Like they think you're going to do nothing this year. Um, cause I have a disrespect not, card. Yeah. He pulled a full disrespect card because I've never seen a Virginia tech defense come out with that kind of motor. Like it wasn't, nobody took a playoff. Like it wasn't if, even if like, even when Ladler had like, the sack six other people were bulldozing down so that if Ladler missed the tackle that you were going to get blown up um they put in a tremendous amount of effort and people were people were pissed on that defense uh, and they were angry and really wanted to come out and um you know you and I listened to a lot of coverage a lot of podcasts not a single team was mentioning Virginia Tech coming into this game not one not, and I listened to what six college football podcasts. Nobody, yeah, none even, of them were talking about. They us. talked about FSU and what they're going to do this year under Taggart and the new regime and the the new, you know, <laughs> easy. What is it? The lethal lethal uh, simplicity. simplicity and all this stuff, which is fine. It's a new coach, but the fact that they got no recognition, I think, I think Bud Foster took that to the house and just like yeah. was like, hey, nobody's saying anything about you guys. Go yeah. wreck shop. One thing he said after the game, too, I, I really liked when Virginia Tech's on the field, people expect our defense to play a certain way, and you better live up to that way. And those were in his comments after the game, and it's true. Like People think of Virginia Tech, they think defense is special teams, and they expect it to look a certain way. And to blow those expectations out of the water means it must have been really special. Yeah, 
and people mock it. I mean, you you can say what you will, but you go listen to the solid verbal. I listen to solid verbal. Yeah, yeah, Dan and Ty are great. But every single time, it's tongue in cheek when they talk about the lunch pail defense and stuff. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, Bud Foster in a lunch pail defense. And guess what? It's real. He is literally one of the most successful defensive coordinators that has ever lived in our lifetime. Like, like he's up there. If you can't even say that, he's top five without any question, statistically, like from what he performs at, from what level we recruit at. Like, if you can't see that, then you're an idiot. You're like not a student of college football. And that's what I was tweeting about the other day. It's like, then you don't understand how college football actually works. Like, you're disrespecting it to not not see that and to talk about, oh, yeah, well, there's players flopping on the field. Like, that's how you're going to treat that game when he just disassembled you with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. So now's the time. I think we've we've given it the proper praise. We do need to remember to keep our expectations in check. And I'll give you full credit because you said that before we even played this game, that if we win, and unless you see something really remarkable, and the defense was remarkable, but I think you were kind of referring to our offensive prowess and how Josh looks and the receivers and that kind of thing. Unless you see something really, really outrageously good, make sure to just keep in mind it's one game and that maybe Florida State's not good. Maybe they're going to go seven and six this year again. Yeah, I I'm not taking away uh, anything from this game other than it. This team I think has a tremendous amount of upside potential. That's that's my conclusion. I'm not concluding that we're going to win. Not changing my win count on the year. I'm not change. I'm not reducing it. I'm I'm also not um, going to insult the effort the team put out there. I just I'm not taking anything away from this game. Yeah. Uh, Enjoy it. Like you we're both enjoying it and I want to clarify that I do think the team's going to get better. Like I this team is young. It's mm-hmm. it's the youngest roster in the ACC. It is going to get better and that is so freaking exciting. But like Texas and Notre Dame 2 years ago, <laughs> Texas is not back, folks. <laughs> it wasn't back then and it's certainly not back now. So you have to take this game and everything that happened with a grain of salt. We'll learn bits and pieces the next 3 weeks as we take on these crappier teams cuz I was scared of ODU and then they went out and they got bulldozed by uh by Liberty of all people. Uh, which man, that really annoys you, right? Yeah. Um, so we're not going to face very stiff competition. ECU lost to a FCS team, so <laughs> the, these next couple weeks are not going to be tough. So try to take just little bits and pieces from those games. We'll see how we do down in Durham, and then we can get excited for Notre Dame because that Duke team—they played a tough Army team and they beat them pretty good. They've got Northwestern and Baylor coming up. We're going to see what they do. Jones looked pretty good. I'm excited about Virginia Tech's potential, but that's the measuring stick of this season because Cutcliffe, that's a well-coached team, unlike what we saw from Taggart on Monday. Beer break before women marry? Yeah. So, Pete, what are you having over there? I am drinking the Narragansett Fest. It's a Marzen lager, as you could probably guess by the name. Narragansett always gives you the benefit of the pounder cans, so that's kind of nice. 5.5% alcohol. It's kind of what you'd expect from a Narragansett. It's a little malty, a little hoppy, probably a little bit more on the hoppy side. 
and it's got a very dark like brown sugar type color to it uh, rather than more of like a golden color it's good. I, I'm not like overly enthused about it, but it's pretty good. And like I said, I get 16 ounces of it and at five and a half, it's a good session. <laughs> good session beer. Yeah. It's not 11%. <laughs> uh, so I'm drinking the Fairwinds uh, Brewing Company IPA. It's the, uh, the Mastid Mosaic. Um, say that repeatedly. Uh, I dare you. So Mastid Mosaic. Uh, Fairwinds, they have the Hallingale IPA. They have a few. It's it's local to Virginia. I think they are over in Lorton. Yeah, Virginia. Um, it's good. I think it's got a nice, it's like 49 IBU. It's not too powerful. It's a nice kind of, it's probably a little stronger for somebody that doesn't drink a ton of IPAs than a, than a session, but it's um, pretty balanced um, and has a little bit of, um, a little bit of tinge of maltness to it that uh, I think gives you a little bit on the back end. And I also just noticed as I'm looking at the can, and I knew Fairwinds uh, somewhat well, but uh, it's a veteran-owned brewery. So I know you had uh, earlier been talking about, um, uh, what'd you have? Uh, the Devil's Backbone. I yes. had the Bavarian Weiss beer they have, the Trail Angel Weiss. Yeah. So that's women-owned. So now we have a women-owned beer uh, brewery on here, and then a veteran-owned, and they put it right on the can. So I thought that was kind of a cool touch, um, just to kind of show somebody that was, uh, you know, served is uh, has a brewery that's local to Virginia. So the beer's uh, pretty good. I like it. So we talked about Women Mary on our Win Confidence with Joe Lanza podcast. We talked about it when we previewed them. And in that transition period between our team preview and the win confidence, you really felt strongly about Jimmy Laycock. It's probably the greatest name in coaching. Uh, and how this team is going to fight for him in his final season. He's 70 years old. He's been coaching William & Mary since 1980. He announced in between those two podcasts that it's his final year. How are you feeling going into this game? Listen, they just... They just took on somebody in the Pat League, all right? And they gave them all they could muster. Right? It was a battle to the end. Now, it, in all seriousness, they might get a little bit of motivation to coming into lane and, you know, rubbing us around a little bit for like a quarter. But um, I would hopefully suspect that we are going to uh, take it take it to them on this game. But they might have a little bit of motivation just because it's a big atmosphere. It's a sold-out game. Um, and sometimes that can get, you know, the fan base, uh, up and rowdy, um, or, and really the, um, that, you know, the players kind of moving, but I don't suspect much anymore after seeing that they barely beat Bucknell. Yeah. They only won two games last year. So already getting one win is, is good for them, but it wasn't by much. And Bucknell is, is not very good. Uh, they have a quarterback who was recruited by tech and Sean Mitchell, and he was like the most decorated player in VHSL history at Oscar Smith. I think we recruited him as an athlete or something. Was a true freshman last year, struggled on a few starts, only completed 39% of his passes. But he completed 65.6 against Bucknell, 267, a touchdown, and an interception. I don't know why I'm talking about these stats. They don't matter. <laughs> we are probably going to destroy this poor kid. 
he might provide some excitement with his legs. And you're right, maybe we're a little groggy because the game was on Monday and we probably got back super, super early on Tuesday, if not into Tuesday morning. And we're probably going to play a lot of freshmen. A lot of guys who might be redshirted would get their one of their four games in this one to play because the new redshirt rule. So, yeah, they might hang around for a bit if we turn the ball over or something. But it could get pretty ugly as well. Yeah. I mean, we... I, I'm just I'm too tired of overlooking every opponent every time we have a big game. We did it after Ohio State and came back and laid two duds out of the next three games. Yeah, it's just let's just respect the opponents that are on the schedule. Go out and play good football. Like I I, I think that's it. And you know we all know what should happen in this game. There's no doubt what should happen in this game. And then there is what will happen. They're on a short week. That's not great. And um, if nothing else, uh, I hope that the team goes out there and puts out a good effort. I hope that we get to play, you know, and and take advantage of the red shirt rules and and do that because our guys need to rest up. You know, and, and, and it's not to say that the ACC ACC slate is coming down, you know, on us right now, but it's time to get people in the rhythm of playing every Saturday. Um, and get ready for when we do start hitting the road there. And we got a few weeks for that. We got a few games for that. But uh, I'd rather just kind of take this game and, to your point, not have to worry about it. Hopeful that's the case. But I'm also not going to overlook anybody given some of the duds we've laid in the past. Yeah, I mean, the JMU game famously was on the same amount of rest. And... It poured down rain, and they were a pretty good FCS team, much better than this William & Mary team, but an in-state team, and they took it to us that day. If any of those one things went differently, if our game was two days earlier or didn't rain that day, we'd beat JMU. But because of JMU, the only good thing to come out of it is that we don't overlook teams on this five-day turnaround like we have against William & Mary, and they won't overlook them. They'll come out and they'll play tough, and hopefully the backups get in because we do have seven straight weeks of football, the first of which is a short week. Our bye week isn't until after UNC, the seventh game. So they do need to rest up. They need to get guys out early in this game, in the next game, and the next game uh, and get them rested for Duke and Notre Dame and UNC. And if you're tired, it's just more it's just more potential for injury, right? Like there's mm-hmm. just there's just bad things that happen when you're playing on a short week that don't usually happen. It's not just even the, the you know, everybody's like the winner or the loss. But people's heads aren't on straight. Like you, you, you know, everything's just a little bit off kilter. I'm hopeful that the fan base and how crowded it's going to be is going to kind of pump them up. But I also want to get them off the starters off the field as fast as possible because they need to get their rest, and they, we got to get ready for you know not that much. <laughs> I'm not going to act like we have Notre Dame the following week, but you know it's time to get in the rhyme and the rhythm of of winning games. Um, and when you put that emotion into that FSU game, which I, yeah, there was a lot of emotion from that defense in that game. Like they poured out a lot of energy on that. And now it's time to recoup a little bit and get ready for, for the season. Yeah. And they do have a player in Devonte Dedman that could get behind our secondary and score. He had three catches for 125 against Bucknell and Mitchell can run the ball. That being said, we should be able to throw up 30, 40 points 
and only give up 10 or less, hopefully seven or less against this team. If you, if you're holding Florida state to three, <laughs> you should be able to hold William and Mary to under 10. Let, let's be honest. That's right. I agree. <laughs> so let's do our pick against the spread. I could not find an actual spread for this game, but last year when we played university of Delaware, the spread was 38 points and William and Mary, while not as good as Delaware was last year, it is on a short week, as we've repeatedly mentioned. So we're going to make it the same because we can't find a spread. We've looked everywhere. 38 points, Robbie. Who are you taking, women, Mary, or us? I'm going to take Virginia Tech. 38 is pretty close to like where our, my comfort zone is, but I think we can probably score a touchdown more than that. So I could see us you know, winning by 45 points maybe, I guess is the best I can come up with. Their defense is okay. I think they have a quality player at each level. I'm going to pick William and Mary against the spread, but your it, spread. It could your ease, spread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> my spread. Exactly. I I don't know. I just don't know if we can I don't know what our offense is going to what they're going to do cuz how quickly are they going to pull Josh? How quickly are they going to pull Ashby and Reggie Floyd? And then do they get a late touchdown or something? You know, I, I don't know. But I'll take William and Mary against that spread. Yeah, that's fair. I wanted to pick UNC and ECU because I'm just curious. I'm fascinated by UNC because they have all those suspensions. We picked the Cal game last week. Um, and they were down a bunch and ended up making it a little closer at the end. But they didn't look good. The spread on this one is UNC by 17. ECU is dreadful. We already said they lost to an FCS team. Who you got? <laughs> this is such a disaster pick. I like this is. I guess I'm going to go UNC. I picked them last week. Ended up paying off for me barely. Um, so UNC, I'm going to. I I haven't. I did not watch that ECU game. I don't think anybody did. But everything that I have heard about it was they are terrible. Yeah, ECU is really bad. I'm going to take UNC. I I don't feel particularly confident, though, because I don't think UNC is very good, but ECU is just – it's a dumpster fire. Scotty Montgomery is probably not making it out of October with his job. It, it's really bad, so UNC. Next game, GT against USF. This is the fun game we talked about in the offseason. We get these two contrasting styles, and USF has been really good the last few years. Obviously, they had Taggart. But even under the new coach, they've been they've been very good. The spread is three and a half in favor of Georgia Tech, who brought back a lot on offense. I made you go first uh, last time, so I'm going to take USF because of the hook. Yeah, I do think Georgia Tech will win, but it'll be like a three point game. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Georgia Tech actually here. Um, so I'm going to. I'm going to disagree with you on that. And mostly because I I haven't really fully figured out what GT is going to do this year. So I think it could be good. I, it, it, people have talked them up, but we'll see. So, But USF, is, um, those are completely opposite you know, offenses in every way, shape, and form. It could be a really fun game to watch. UVA at Indiana. Indiana is actually getting six and a half in this game. I was kind of surprised it was that big. I thought Indiana sucked. Um, and we obviously know UVA kind of sucks, but I still thought for two crappy teams it would be like a three- or two-point spread. 
Who you got? I'm taking UVA in that. And I know it's that's at Indiana, right? Um, yeah. But, I yeah, I think they showed enough to have a little bit better than Indiana's going to put out on the field, I would suspect. But uh, let's let's I'm going UVA. I am also going UVA. I'm just checking again to make sure I have the spread right. Yeah, that's that's right. So I'm going UVA just because of Bryce Perkins and the running ability. I know they only played Richmond, but they've lost to Richmond before, and they didn't do that, and they looked pretty good. I think he had over 100 yards rushing. Uh, that could potentially make me nervous down the line for that UVA game if he proves to be able to do it against better competition because running quarterbacks in college football, they are – an equalizer. And and I don't think Francois's knee was quite ready to be running around on Virginia Tech. Not that our defense wouldn't have swarmed to him, but he didn't want to run. And so a, a guy that could actually run like Wimbush or Perkins, that scares me down the line for Tech. Next game, Penn State at Pitt. This should be an interesting one. <laughs> Penn State is number 13 after squeaking by Appalachian State, Appalachian. And they are nine-point favorites over Pitt at Heinz Field. I'm going to take Penn State. I think they're going to correct, like overcorrect from last week's game. I think Pitt stinks. And I think that Heinz Field is going to be mostly full of Penn State fans. So I'm going to take Penn State in the nine points. I just was, if we had Albany versus App State, we would have an idea of how to rank these two teams <laughs> against each other. Uh, I'm going uh, Penn State as well. That was uh, that was uh, Bolton board material right there on how bad yeah. that game was. And, yeah, there is a ton of talent on Penn State. Make no doubts about that. So I think they're going to come out just ready to punish. And I don't think Pitt's that good. No. Clemson at Texas A&M. This is one of the better games of the weekend. Number two, Clemson is a 12.5-point favorite down in College Station. Who you got? Clemson, I think they'll win by, I think they're probably going to win by 17 points uh, at least. Um, you know, I, I think that, granted, there's a whole, there's a lot of background here between the two teams mm-hmm. now that wasn't, yeah. didn't exist beforehand. Um, Clemson looks absolutely incredible right now. Um, and their talents, I think, off the charts. So Jimbo got Clemson's number for a while and now Dabo's gotten Jimbo's number for a couple years. So I would expect just because Clemson is way more talented than Texas A&M that they're going to easily win. Um, But two touchdowns is kind of a lot. So I'm still going to take Clemson, but I think it's going to be that, you know, 14, 15, 16 point mark. Next game is number 17 USC against number 10 Stanford. Stanford is five and a half point favorites. I'm going to take Stanford because I just think they are the better team. They're, I feel like they've gotten USC's number the last few years, and they covered their spread against San Diego State, and USC had a little bit of a hard time with UNLV. Robbie, who do you got? Yeah, I I was all over uh, USC when they were struggling, and I'm looking at the score right now. At one point at the end of the second quarter, it was 1914, so they really did struggle. I'm going to go with Stanford as well. I just have a lot of trust in that program. Um, the running back situation is always locked down. They have a great offensive line every single year. So I'm going to go with that. And I, I just don't know if I learned anything about USC thus far in what they're going to put out. They obviously get a ton of four and five stars, but that's I'm, 
I don't really know much beyond that in terms of single playmakers, and they lost their quarterback. And the last game we're going to pick is Georgia against South Carolina. I think this is the game a lot of people are looking to tune into because Georgia has playoff hopes and national title hopes yet again. Georgia's number three, South Carolina's number 24, and Georgia is 10-point favorites on the road. Are you seeing something so, yeah. that I'm not seeing in this? What do you mean? Ten points on the on the road at South Carolina. It's uh, I. It's Georgia. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm taking Georgia. I'm taking though. Georgia with. I. I. I'm betting. I'm actually going to bet this game. Like I'm getting off of this, and then. I'm oh, so go. you're not saying it's a low spread? You're saying it should be more? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's nasty. I mean. They uh, listen. We'll see what they end up doing in terms of making it to the playoff. But not making it to the playoff this year with, with the talent that they have would be that that would be a failure for them. And and I understand that South Carolina is much improved, but that improved to have a ten point spread even on the road. Georgia doesn't care if you're on the road; they're just going to run it down your throat. Yeah, I, maybe they uh, catch lightning in a bottle in Columbia. I think it could be entertaining for a while, but I'm going to take Georgia just because I think they're going to overpower them. All right, man. Uh, I'm glad we're playing an FCS opponent this weekend. I know I don't want to overlook them, but I'm not on the team. I need to like relax. All we did for the last like month was get hyped and more and more excited about Florida State. We were both extremely pumped for the game, and it went better than our wildest dreams. I remember... You said, like, no result would surprise me except for a blowout. And 21 points, it's right on that fringe of, like, blowout. Is it a blowout? Is it not? But that was kind of a blowout. Yeah, no, it was. It was. I just I think that there were some oddities in the game that caused the score to become imbalanced, like, in the way that you perceive it. You got to go back and look at, like, that things could have been called just a little bit different. A play could have been re-reviewed, and that's seven points, and then it would have been a 10 you know, 23 mm-hmm. games. There's just some weird things that happened that I think there was the missed field goal from like, what was that? Was that a 30 yard field goal that yeah, it that, wasn't long. It wasn't. Long. And that it was right. After, over the upright. That was after the drop touchdown too. And then you dropped the touchdown and then you missed the field goal. I mean, there were some, you got to admit like any Hokie fan has got to be like, Hey, there's some weird things that happen. And they happened to us too. We could have easily put up more points. Yeah. Things definitely went our way. If if you had to say which which way did they go more, they definitely went our way, but we also made them go our way because we just we were more prepared. It was it came down to coaching. That's exactly what you said, exactly what I said, and it it, it came to fruition. And their talent advantage wasn't enough to overcome it. When you're fumbling the ball and throwing interceptions, you can't overcome, you know, that coaching disadvantage even with a ton of talent. The beauty of that game, too, was it was Cable's highest-rated regular season game since 2016. Tons of people were watching us kick their ass. So in terms of recruiting, that is absolutely fantastic. Not only in Virginia and the 757, because there's a lot of talk about Laybourne not getting enough touches. He was a 757 kid. He should have gone to Tech. Levante Taylor, another guy who should have been on Tech because he's a 757 kid. But in Florida, you know, all the Florida kids, we've recruited a lot of Florida kids over the years. I think Gerard Hewitt is from Florida. Yeah. Isaiah Ford is from Florida. Daddy. Um, Daddy Kendricks, who is on our next year's recruiting class. I think he's a Florida kid. Luther Maddie. So 
we we are down there recruiting players and for the, all of those players to watch Miami suck and watch Florida State suck I I couldn't be happier today and it is not crazy to think we're the favorites in the coastal I'm not saying ACC title or playoffs I'm not even getting anywhere close to that but after that game and the way Miami played it is not uh overshooting to say that we might be the favorites in the coastal now I mean we have a we got to win Right, we got an in-conference win heading into times that were. I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, and that takes a lot of stress off of these next games that are coming up that allow us to just team build, like build all the yeah. structure in inside of a game environment. Um, I think it's impressive. It is take care of business month. That is what September is for Tech. Take care of business the next three weeks, and then go down to Durham. And make that a business trip as well, because that'll be a hard-fought game. I, I can't actually wait for that game. I think it's going to be awesome. And then that's just a little appetizer before Notre Dame, which if you look at this rating for this game, what is that Notre Dame game in a few months if both of us stay ranked going to be like? That's That could be awesome. I'll be there. <laughs> we'll both be there, yeah. man. I can't wait. That's going to be That's going to be awesome. First time in our house that Notre Dame's ever showed up, and that's going to be outstanding. And after we beat them in their house, I mean, there's going to be a lot of commentary about that game if both teams take care of business. Yeah. I had a great time at our game watch in Philly. A lot of people showed up, had some good friends there. It was a blast. I heard the boardroom situation was pretty cool for the key play. I know the GOAT had a watch party as well. Uh, So you got good options to watch the game, whether you're in Philly or you're down in Virginia or in the district. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2DVT.com is our website. You can stream all the podcasts on there, and we are updating our stats and our beers as well. On Instagram, at 2DVT. If you're not following us on Instagram, you are missing out. There are pictures. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll think about beer. You know, it, it, It'll get you going. So make sure to follow us on Instagram. And I think that's the last thing. Rate, review, and subscribe. Always. We appreciate everyone who's reviewed the podcast we've gotten a lot of reviews in the last month a lot of new twitter followers so that is awesome and if you're not following us on twitter do that as well and until next time go hokies